This is My Years Through My Ears, a series about influential songs that have shaped influential lives. Each guest breaks down a soundtrack to their life story, picking the most personally impactful songs to represent each chapter along the way. My name is Andres Tardio, and today's guest is Rob Markman. He is one of the most respected music journalists of all time. His story is an inspirational one, going from the mailroom at XXL to where he is now as the vice president of content strategy at Genius, where we work together on some of the most incredible pieces of content I've ever had the honor of working on. But he's also a motivational MC under his own Write the Dream empire. He's sitting down with me just after releasing his newest body of work. It's called If You Don't, You'll Regret It. What's going on, Rob? What's going on, man? Thank you for having me. That's weird, man. <laughs> What's like, weird? Just just interviewing with you. Why? Just because, you know, obviously our working relationship, you know what I'm saying? I was working together and just knowing you and it's like, oh, this is the first time we actually done something like this. It's cool though. It's exciting. It's like a different concept. So I'm excited to just talk through it. Nah, man. Uh, thank you, first of all, for even doing this. I've been listening to the playlist that you created for this series and I feel like I've gotten to know you even better, even though, like you said, we have a great relationship already, but I feel like I've gotten to know you even better through this. But before we even get into the playlist, man, what are some of the earliest memories that you have with music? What role did it play in your early childhood? Music was always important in my house. You know, I come from a musical family on my mother's side, you know, my 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 uncle or really my great uncle, my grandmother's brother, is a famous Latin jazz musician by the name of Willie Bobo. So, you know, there was always a picture of him hanging up on the wall and, you know, a lot of Spanish music being played in my house, but a lot of R&B and soul and disco. It, it was it was a bunch of stuff. Like, my, my parents never, like, limited what they were listening to. Then, you know, there was my older brother and my older sister who were listening to hip-hop. And, you know, growing up, I, I would want to do anything my older brother was doing so you know just when he would come home with his tapes or whatever like I was always into what he was listening to and early on I remember him like EPMD tapes early on I remember him coming home with the Black Moon tape I remember him having Public Enemy tapes and and he was like into more hardcore rap where my sister was like Heavy D um you know it was more like dance stuff and so I really took after my brother and the hardcore stuff but my brother ended up doing a bit in prison and I remember him coming home and kind of resenting rap. I, I find a lot of people who come home from jail are like, oh my God, this is bullshit. Like, all this music is glorifying shit that I, I've um, actually been through. And, and it was hard for him to enjoy the music the same way when he came out of jail. This playlist actually starts in the preteen years, man. Um, you got a chance to pick two songs to represent that time period. What was the first one that you picked? Oh, man, I picked Dougie Fresh and MC Ricky D, the Get Fresh crew. Um, MC Ricky D, of course, later on becomes Slick Rick um, and Lottie Dottie. I don't I don't remember where I was when I first heard it because, like, like, to hear a rap song on the radio, like, it was at night. And then songs back then, I think that dropped in 86, if I'm not mistaken. Like, a song like that could stay on the radio even two three years after its release and the radio would still play it like it just came out. So like it was a big part of my childhood, but my earliest memory of it or the thing that I recall the most is being 
in the schoolyard and rapping it like with my friends during lunch or when we were in the schoolyard before school started. Like one of your friends would be on the beatbox and then the rest of you would be rapping. Were you Dougie Fresh or were you Slick Rick? Were you beatboxing or were you rhyming? Nah, I was definitely rapping. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I can imagine. I can imagine. So that was probably like one of the early seeds for the right to dream. Yeah, nah, in, in a lot of ways it was. What was the second song that you picked for the preteen years? Sounds of Blackness, Optimistic. Just that song is so uplifting. I don't know if we get songs like that for this generation. Like, as a kid, it just really instilled a sense of you could do anything. You know, you, you can win as long as you keep your head to the sky. I think, like, a lot of that soaked in, soaked in when I was a kid, and I think I carry a lot of that with me. Yeah, it's hard uh, to listen to that song and not feel inspired. What do you think these two songs say about that time period in your life? For Lottie Dottie, for Slick Ray, for me, that was just cool. That was me just trying to figure out just something cool and fun and creative. It sounds a blackness song. I, I probably didn't realize how much I loved this song until years later. You know, a lot of it is um, just normal kid stuff, like trying to find yourself. Like, again, I'm, I'm probably 11 years old when that comes out. So it's like just trying to find yourself. Um, trying to figure out who you are. And then personally, like, yeah, there, there was a lot of things that I seen, I think, growing up that um, maybe I wish I hadn't seen, you know, just uh, growing up in Flatbush in Brooklyn. Like, there was a lot of violence in my neighborhood. There was a lot of drugs in my neighborhood. Within my family, my larger family, and even my immediate family, there was drugs and substance abuse. And I, I kind of seen the toll that that took on people. You know, this is the crack era. Man, this is like walking outside of your house and there's a lot of reasons to be depressed. Like, there's a lot of reasons to feel like, damn, I'm never going to make it out of here. Like, yo, life sucks and a lot of stress, I think, at a young age for young kids. Like, you know, the crack era was rough. Like, you know, just coming out of your house and seeing junkies or or you couldn't go play, your parents wouldn't let you play in the playground because it was crack vials on the floor or something like that or needles on the floor and, you know, you didn't want to get stuck with a needle that somebody maybe used the night before in the park to get high or something like that. So, you know, it was a lot of that, you know, um, just any adversity growing up. Um, but, you know, I, I, I had seen a lot of stuff at a young age and, um, you know, I, I guess that song kind of helped. I was thinking about what you said about, you know, they don't make songs like this. And uh, I thought about you, man. I feel like your writing tends to lean towards a lot of the positive and optimistic and inspiring uh, messages. And the beauty of that is that it's authentic. This is authentically you. This is who you are. And that's probably why that song spoke to you at such a young age. You, you, you know what it is? Because if I can't look at the world and look even at my today, which might not be great on any given day, right? And if I can't truly believe that it's going to be a better tomorrow, then I might as well just give up. I, I never want to be a victim of circumstance. Like, I, I never wanted to be anybody's victim. I always needed to feel like I was in control of my own destiny. And sometimes with pessimism comes, you know, a couple bad things happen to you and then you, you just defeat yourself and, and, and you stop trying. I'd rather keep trying and keep giving me the hell. Fine. One day that L is going to turn into a W. Like, like you're going to have to give me a thousand L's in a row because I'm just going to keep getting up. Like, And I always felt like that because if I'm not going to get up, then I might as well just play that. How do you think that manifested itself 
during those years as you were listening to Sounds of Blackness, Optimistic, as you were listening to Slick Rick and Dougie Fresh? How, how do you think that manifested itself, that optimism in the face of turmoil? All types of shit, man. Fucking getting teased as a kid. And we all got teased for, for different shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, me being mixed, you know, my dad being white, my mom being black, Puerto Rican, you know, nobody ever really knew what I was. So when I was around the black kids, you get teased for being a white boy. You know, when I was around white kids, I used to get called damn word. Or, you know, being around the Latino kids, you know, other Puerto Ricans and Dominicans. And for that, I would fit in because it felt like somewhere in the middle. But then when when they find out, you know, I don't speak Spanish very well, you get teased for that. So it was like never quite belonging. So there was periods of that. Um, simple things like, you know, I used to fight a lot, you know what I'm saying? And and I would get my ass kicked as a kid until you you, you took enough ass whippings to you, to you learn how to switch that around and and deliver the ass whipping. So, you know what I'm saying? It, you know, simple as, as you know, getting into a fight and then having to go to school and face all your friends with a black eye the next day. You know what I'm saying? It was like embarrassing until you learn how to stand on your own too and shit like that. So, you know, it, it, the diversity came in, in a bunch of different ways. Um, some of it, things that are very deep. You know what I'm saying? And and some of it are things that were just on, on the surface, you know? You know, when you're a kid, all that shit feels like the end of the world. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I say, like, from frivolous things to things that maybe cut more deep, that song always kind of, like, rang true for me. Let's move into the teen years, man. Uh, let's talk about the early teens. What two songs did you pick to represent your early teen years? Yeah, the first song I picked was um, Pete Rock and C.L. Smooth, um, Troy, They Reminisce Over You. They Reminisce Over You was just a big hit record. So the first time I heard it, I'm pretty sure it was on the radio. At this point, I'm already super into hip hop. Like, it's who I am. It's starting to really define and shape who I am. And, you know, I'm a creative kid, but this was the song that made me want to rap because one, I think CL Smooth is one of the most underrated MCs. He's one of my personal favorite. I think dude was just so perfect. He was just so in pocket. I think his wordplay was dope. I, I think he could do things like really, really speak to underground aesthetics at the time. But he was still rapping about Versace and Moet and a lot of the prelude to what Biggie was doing and and, and even L at the time. You know what I'm saying? So I always enjoy CL Smooth as an MC, but this song in particular, it was just so amazing to me. It, it was probably the first time that I really recognized how a rap song could just have this brilliant songwriting. Like, and I, I'll say it like this: if you listen to the first verse, CL Smooth is just talking about his family. We don't know his family. We don't know. You know, he talks about his, his Pam, his sister Pam, and. You know, if we're talking about cars, Uncle Sterling got the latest. You know what I'm saying? He He's just going through his whole family tree. And we don't know his family. So why do we care? Like, why do I care about his Uncle Sterling and his cars? You know what I'm saying? And, and shit like that. And And what it is, is because we could all relate. So he took something so deeply personal and put it out there and allowed everybody to relate to it. You know what I'm saying? 
And then obviously the last verse, which was dedicated to um, Trouble T. Roy, Troy Dixon, who was one of um, Heavy D and the boys, who was one of the boys who had died. It, it just made you kind of relate to, to to your people, you know, that, that you grew up with, even though he was talking about his people. And it was a hit record at the time. And it was just like, damn, you could do something so deeply personal and poetic and it could be a hit record. That's fucking amazing. That's the power of hip hop. I feel like the more personal a record is, the more universal it can be. Tupac's Dear Mama, that song was about one woman, but it becomes about every mom because it's so deeply personal. So I'm, I'm glad you made that connection then, but I'm, I'm glad you made it now so we could talk about just kind of that aspect of, of, of the power of hip hop. Yeah, no, for sure, man. And this was one of the ones at the time, like I recognized it at the time why this song was so brilliant. And the fact that I could see it inspired me to then want to create. Because, you know, this was a time when I would make my own mixtapes, pause tapes. When we were kids, we used to make pause tapes where you would listen to the radio, you would wait for them to play your your favorite song, and you would tape it off the radio. And, you you know, you would get a collection of your favorite songs and you you make your own mixtape, you make your own pause tape. So this was a song I would wait to come on the radio and I taped it. And then after I taped my favorite songs, I always wrote the lyrics out. And it's so funny that we work at Genius now, but we used to write the lyrics out. I remember writing this out. I remember writing like the lyrics to Nice and Smooth. And writing the lyrics out, it really helped me kind of understand what dude was really saying and, and, and the story that he was telling. And it was amazing. Even 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 to even the part about Troy, like T to the R O Y, how did you and I meet in front of big loose fighting in the street? Uh, like my best friend Lou, like when we first met, like we used to fight when we was kids before we was friends. I, I have a couple friends like that. So even that shit was like so real to me, you know what I'm saying? And then obviously the beat, the Pete Rock beat is just classic. That sample is classic. The way they flipped it, it really makes you feel something. So um, yeah, that song was special to me. And, and really, again, started my creativity. That's the song where I was like, yo, I want to be a rapper. All right, so what was the uh, second song you picked to represent your early teen years? Nas, Life's a Bitch, um, featuring AZ. And really that whole Illmatic album was influential. I had told you earlier that like my brother had went, this is around the time my brother's locked up. So he's definitely by the time Illmatic came out, my brother was locked up. Because I remember, because One Love was another song that really hit me. That's where Nas is, is, is the lyrical letter to his man in prison. So... I remember that song really, really hitting me hard, One Love, but I put Life's a Bitch on the list because that's just how we felt, man. Like, I, you know, my parents had split or were just about to split. Like, my home life, you know, my brother was locked up. I think my sister had moved out. So my home life was kind of like in turmoil a little bit and, you know, things were just changing. I, you know, I, I was a freshman in high school, so it was like new friends, new influences, I was smoking weed around that point in my life. Like I just felt a lot more adult. I was making my own money, um, and I was just outside. I didn't really have a curfew. Even though I was a kid, everything just felt so adult, and every decision felt like it had consequence. And you know, I ain't gonna lie. I, I was angry at the world around that time. My my other best friend, Damian, his brother was murdered a few years before that. My brother was locked up. Like, we didn't have no guidance. We didn't have the guys that we had above us that we looked up to were gone. And so we were just kind of angry at the world and felt like we had to be that way, like put on this armor, you know what I'm saying? So nobody will, will fuck with you. So Life's a Bitch was was um, 
one of those songs that just spoke to me. And and I think it spoke to a lot of people in that way. You know, looking at the whole playlist, I think what's really interesting about this track is it can feel down at times, but it also has a lot of hope, right? I'm destined to live a dream for all my peeps who never made it. When AZ says that, you can really feel the optimism in the face of darkness. I think AZ's verse on that, to me, is my favorite rap verse of all time. Like, I think, like, even when I write now, like, I feel like I'm chasing that verse. When you look at those tracks, right, what do you think they say about those years? It, it just showed that shit was fucked up, but it was still beautiful. You know, their friend dying with Troy dying, um, CL talking about all the ills of his family, all, like, the shortcomings, like, you know, his, his father might have drank too much, or you know what I'm saying? Um, or, or the father that wasn't around, but, you know, it was still optimism, like talking about step bops. Took me from a boy to a man, so I always had a father when my biological didn't involve. Like, you know how much people related to that. So even in all the pain, there was something to look forward to. And, and you know, that's how I kind of felt. It, you know, at, at that point, I had just decided, man, this that's not going to be me. This is not going to be my fate. All right, so let's let's get into the coming of age years when you're coming out of that teen angst and you're really starting to come into your own, man. Uh, what songs did you pick to represent your coming of age years? Yeah, and, and these were hard to pick, man, because there was so many. This, this was really like a tough exercise, but the first one I picked was um, Sky's the Limit by Notorious B.I.G. When Big died, that affected us because Big was somebody that we looked up to, like coming from Brooklyn, a cat who probably wasn't supposed to make it. He didn't have like the looks of LL, but here he was, this ladies' man, this sex symbol. He could rap better than anybody. Like he was cross-eyed and he had to wear Versace. Like there was so much stuff that he could have been insecure about and probably defeated himself on, but he just presented himself to the world and because of his talent, people accepted him. And then when his life got cut short, when you think about it, it was really early. Like he died at 24. Like that's crazy. I remember when he when he passed, we was waiting for Ready Life After Death to come out. And Life After Death is actually my favorite rap album of all time. And my boy Tim had the album early because he had a hookup at Bad Boy. And he came to my crib and we sat on on the stoop and listened to the album like two weeks before it came out. I just remember Sky's the Limit just being a song that that struck me at the time. Because though I was more of a fan of the hardcore Biggie stuff, like the Who Shot you and, and, and things like that, it was just like, man, there was so much. It really, that, that song told the story about where he came from and how much more he still had to go. Like, again, it was one of those optimistic songs, you know what I'm saying? What I love about this song is, again, how how deeply personal it was, man. He's telling you about he's sewing tigers on his shirt. He's telling you about yeah. exactly what kind of cookies he had. Right. Right. And and I don't know if it was a Brooklyn thing. Like, I don't, I don't know what school was like, you know, growing up in Cali or something like that. But that was related. The milks was chocolate. The cookies, butter crunch. Like, yo, the butter crunch cookies that they used to serve in school were the most amazing thing. And then, and then what we used to do sometimes is, is take them from school, take them home. And when you heat them up in the oven, yo, this joint was phenomenal. So even when he's like, the milks is chocolate, the cookies is butter crunch, like, we knew what that meant. Right. And that's that's the power of his storytelling, man. He's so detailed. And it feels like that message could resonate with anybody at any age, but it was probably particularly powerful for you going through your teen years 
and hearing a message about the sky being the limit, you know, that you can have what you want, that you can be what you want. That's a that's an empowering message to take on at that age, especially. For sure. And and I, I could relate, man, so much. Even even the, the tigers, the alligators, you know, you gotta think about the last line. While while M's flirt, I'm sewing tigers on my shirts and alligators. You wanna see the inside, I see you later. Like he had fake clothes. You know what I'm saying? Here come the drama. Oh, that's the with the fake. Why you punch me in my face? Stay in your place. Like knowing that you're wearing fake clothes and still having the confidence. Like that was a big thing for us, especially in high school. I remember, I remember two incidents. Like we we were pretty. My pops did well for us. You know what I'm saying? And, and took care of us. But there there was a point where he was down and out. Where it was really bad for him. You know what I'm saying? And he couldn't afford. And I remember my dad taking me. He was like, oh, I found this store that sells all these clothes that you like. And, and it's really cheap. And he took us to the store. He was like, man, he was so proud. And he was like, man, you get, you and your brother can get anything you want. And it was like fake guest shirts and stuff like that. And I knew they was fake at the time. And, and But I'm like, damn, my, my dad, I know he worked hard for this. So fuck it. I got to be grateful. You know what I'm saying? And then having to wear that shit to school. I remember one Christmas. My dad didn't have money to get us anything, and he was waiting for his check to come. And his check came, and he, as soon as his check came, he ran out. It was like Christmas Eve, cashed his check, and then bought me and my brother like some fake Timberland sweaters for Christmas. And it, I, again, I knew they were fake. I was upset. He bought my brother the black one, so I was like, at least the black one looked cool. He bought me like a Barney, like a purple Barney ass Timberland sweater. It was fake. It had. It, especially if you're from New York, New York in that area, you know what I'm talking about. Like they had like the leather boot, like it was like a, a boot, like on the sweater. They, they, were, they were just awful. But I knew they were fake, and I still wore that shit every day. Not every day, but you know, I wore it to school at least once a week, once every other week. One because I didn't really have no other clothes to wear, and then two, I knew my pops worked hard for that, and I knew there were kids that would tease me and shit like that, but. You wasn't going to say it to my face. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, we was going to fight for that. So that that shit was so relatable when, when Biggie um, said that, man. And, um, you know, I don't know. That that, that song, that song um, gave us hope. You know what I'm saying? What was the second song you picked uh, for your coming of age years? You know, if we talking about Big, you know, I was a, I was a Pac fan too. Smile. Scarface's Smile with featuring Tupac was another one of those songs for me. There was always one line that stuck with me, and it's one of my favorite rap lines ever. It's not even that ill, but when Scarface is like, oh, I often wish that I could save everyone, but I'm a dreamer. I don't know why that always stuck with me, but it did. And that was kind of my mentality. Like, it, you know, once I got into a certain age, like I'm, I'm maybe 17 at the time, like, I'm not just thinking about myself. Like, of course, I want things for myself, but I want everybody around me to be straight. You know what I'm saying? At this point, my brother is home from jail, or he's just about to get home from jail. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, my little brother is coming to age in his own right, and my little brother got his trials and tribulations. I just want him to be straight. Like, like anytime my little brother had an issue, I would always be there to, to protect him. Um, my parents had split. Like I said, around the life's a bitch era, right? So like 93, 94, my parents had split up. And then in this era, my parents are getting back together and they're trying to, to work on their relationship. 
and repair their relationship. So, you you know, I had seen a lot of pain, but but I, I seen my family and my close ones and my loved ones come out of it on the other side. So when Face was like, "Oh, I often wish that I could save everyone, but I'm a dreamer," that just that just um, I don't know, that just spoke to me. You got smile. You got the sky's the limit. What do you think these two songs say about that time period in your life? You know, the coming of age years. I was on my way. I had dreams. Like I moved out my house. I moved out my parents' house when I was eighteen. But I was I was independent before that again because my 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 home the family structure was breaking down. I started working when I was thirteen, and I had a job in a comic book store, and it was really just to get money for sneakers, so I didn't have to bug my father for sneakers. And then I started working in the pizza store at 15. By the time I'm making it in the pizza store, between school and work, I had more money than I could spend. I would just have like my sock drawer full of money and never had time to go shopping. By the time I'm 18, I moved out. I'm rapping now. I'm in the studio for the first time. I'm doing open mics. You know, I, I used to do open mics at the New Yorican Poet Cafe. And I'm on the same stage as most deaf. You know, most might have been a headliner, like usually for those open mic nights, they had like three or four headliners and then they opened it up for open mics. So most Def, when he was starting out, was a headliner. And then I would sign up on the list and get on at the end. I was on the same stage. I, I was using the same mic most Def had. And we knew he was on the way. We saw it in him early, like, yo, this guy's a legend. And there's a little bit before Black on both sides and all of that. So it felt close. You know what I'm saying? My first studio session ever was with Plain Pat, who works with Cuddy, Good Music. Now, obviously, at the time, he wasn't the Plain Pat we know now, but you could see something in him. You like, oh, this dude is dope. So, like, I was around all of that, so everything started feeling real. I started working at this place called Delia's, and so many rappers was working there. So this is around the same era. This is 97, 98. Emil was, was our supervisor. You know, it was a call center. All of a sudden, the mill's not there anymore, and we look up, and she's on MTV, and she signed a Rockefeller. You know what I'm saying? So everything felt close. Like, um, Mortal Technique used to work there, and, and I started seeing the moves he was making. This was maybe years later. Um, Pumpkinhead was working there. Like, it, it was all like the, these creative cats in New York City in the hip-hop scene. So that gave me hope. But at this point, too, this is Rest in Peace MF Doom, like... We was talking about it too. I was at MF Doom's first show at the New Eureka. Like, and it was an open mic that night too. Before he even had the metal mask, it was just a stocking over his face. We was just around so much shit that was close. Bobito used to have his label Fondalum. And all I wanted to do was get signed to Fondalum because that's where MF Doom was signed to. You know what I'm saying? The Sire, Yes, You Are, the Poe D were like, and Chuggernauts were like some groups that I was listening to. And even back then, Stretching Bobby, though, I, I took a meeting with Bob, like, or Bob took a meeting with me. He agreed to take a meeting with me because I, you know, I wanted to get signed to his label. So playing him my demo and trying to get on, he ended up not signing me, you know what I'm saying? But, but we had a meeting and, 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 you know, a couple of years later, I'm taking a meeting at Sony. So he, even when I was taking these L's and I wasn't getting the deals that I was going after, it still felt close. Like I was in the building, you know what I mean? Let's talk about your 20s, man. You know, for a lot of this, it's been kind of like three-year increments. But I feel like the older you get, the faster it seems life goes. <laughs> and so you pick two songs for an entire decade. And this might have been a little more challenging than the other ones. But what was the first song that you picked 
to represent your 20s. And this whole thing is hard. Picking two two songs in each of these categories were difficult as hell. <laughs> but uh, for the 20s, uh, you know, I, I started with Scarface. Again, you know, I picked up where I left off. And, you know, The Fix to me is a classic album. The Fix changed my life. And to me, The Fix is a gospel album. Like, it, it, with all due respect, I, I don't think Face classifies it as a gospel album. But to me, that's how it resonated with me. Like, that album helped me find and deepen my relationship with God. Um, I wasn't baptized as a child. My mother is Catholic and my father is Jewish. But my father is also atheist, so that's weird. So he, he's Jewish culture-wise, but religion-wise, he, he's atheist. They couldn't quite um, agree on what religion to raise the children in, you know? Um, and that's me and my little brother. You know, my, my older siblings, we have different fathers. Um, but they couldn't quite agree. And I always remember my mother is spiritual. She's not deeply religious. She's Catholic, but she she I guess she foregoed her religion to be in that relationship. I don't know. But she used to tell me when I was a kid, like, oh, you don't need to go to church to believe in God. Like, you can have your own relationship with God. This is how you pray. So she taught me how to pray. But I ended up getting baptized as an adult when I was about 22, 23, something like that. For a number of reasons. You know, for one, my best friend had a daughter. He wanted me to be the godfather. They wouldn't let me be the godfather unless I was baptized. That was one reason. Another reason, you know, my my um my cousin was murdered around this era. And, and just violently and, and just heinously. And the way it happened and the circumstances of what it happened was so, like, unbelievable that it made me question, like, how could God allow this to happen? Like, what the fuck? And, um, you know, I used to just go to church without being religious. You know what I'm saying? Like, and there was some comfort in church. And I was listening to Scarface. I was listening to The Fix at the time. And, so the song that I picked was Someday, featuring Faith Evans, produced by the Neptunes. It was just a soundtrack of that time. And and I used to meet um, with this um, priest. His name was Father Fox in Brooklyn. He's, he's since passed away. But we didn't do like a traditional, you know, the sacraments. Like I used to just go there, almost like therapy session. We used to read out the Bible a little bit, but we really just used to talk about life and he offered to baptize me after a while. And I was like, really? I was like, I didn't, what about the Bible? We didn't, he was like, that's not what this is. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so, yeah, I was baptized Catholic when I was an adult. And um, Scarface was, was a soundtrack to that. So I picked Someday, which is like a beautiful song to me. Okay, so what was the second song you picked for your 20s? The second one was Lil Wayne Hustler's Music. That's at a point where... Like I'm starting my family and still having like a dream of doing music, but also having the responsibility of, you know, my son was born, you know, you can't really pay for studio time before you pay for diapers. You know what I'm saying? It was just dealing with that kind of transition in life. And at that point, too, I'm working in the mailroom still. I'm, you know, I'm just trying to get something more career oriented. Like I'm, I'm getting into, I think I started doing journalism at this point. Like I started writing and stuff like that, but it was in a freelance capacity. So th- there was a a part of me that felt stuck. Like it felt like m- my life and my career was going to transition into something that I would, I could love more, 
and that also would bring me more money so I could provide for my family more. But at the same time, there were so many roadblocks in the way. Like it felt like it was close, but it, but it wasn't covered. So it was like it was like a frustrating time. It just felt like a transformative moment where it was either gonna make or break a man. My head to the sky, my feet on the ground. You know what I'm saying? Like that's how I felt at the time. All right, let's get to the 30s, man. What was the first song you picked for this era? I Don't Want to Wait, which was um, the first single I dropped from my Rights for Dream project in 2017. The reason why I just picked that, because I was like the culmination of like everything I had been dreaming of became a reality with that song. I signed a deal with Empire Distribution. I was like, oh shit, I'm actually signing the contract. This is crazy, like for my raps. Um Putting out that single was produced by Justice League, which is, to me, some of the, the, the best producers of our generation. Like, to work with Justice League was a dream. I remember hearing that song on um, Hot 97 for the first time. It was the first time I heard myself on Hot 97. And DJ Enough played it right after a Kendrick Lamar song. And, you know, I couldn't help but shed a tear. You know, just because they play your record on the radio doesn't mean that your reality changes so much. It didn't change my finances or my bank account. But it changed something to me to the point that it was like, oh, this shit is possible. And it wasn't like I asked a DJ. I didn't send it to enough. Like, I didn't ask anybody to play my song or anything like that because I didn't record that song to be played on Hot 97. Like, the thought just hadn't occurred to me. Kind of happened organically and on its own. You know, it it was the best feeling, you know, because I kind of wrote that song as a homage to, like, what I grew up seeing. Things like, you know, my brother getting locked up and... Just people who not getting maybe the chances. You know, when we just kind of talk about, you know, I'm destined to live the dream for all my peeps who never made it. Like, that's kind of what I don't want to wait is. What was the second song you picked uh, for your 30s? Kill Jay-Z off of 444. You know, a lot of it because of where I was the first time I heard it. So, you know, I, I remember the day I heard the song, it, it, we were at um the 4040 club in Brooklyn, Jay's club. It was a release party for 444. Prodigy's funeral was around that time and I had attended Prodigy's funeral because we had gotten developed a bit of a relationship for real during um, towards the end of his life. And so, you know, I don't know. I was just emotional that day, whatever. But, you know, so that night I go to the 4040 to listen to the, to the album, to the 444 album. And, you know, I walk in by myself. As soon as I walk in, you know, the DJ's playing and the DJ is like, oh, Rob Markman in the building. You know, just like, you know, one of those paid in full moments or something like that, right? Like, Rob Markman in the building. So I look over to the DJ to, to salute the DJ and and I seen a guy standing by the DJ booth that that I don't like. You know, I just don't get along with. So I seen him. So I said, all right, I'm not, let me just move on another side of the club. Like, you know what I'm saying? Another direction. Went to the bar, saw a couple of my boys, and we went to a section of the club that's just on the other side of the club. So whatever there, we chilling, drinking, um, talking, waiting for the album to start. And the guy, the guy that I kind of have a problem with, comes over to our section, and 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 to me, is just standing real close to me, and and, and I kind of feel like he's antagonizing me. You know what I'm saying? Like looking to draw a reaction. Like it was just real childish and. And so I'm tight, like, and I was with my boy. I was actually with Hovane. So I'm getting tight. 
because I feel like this dude is playing. So I ball up my fist and in my head, like, it's telling me, yo, it's go time. Just go, yo, you about to swing on this dude. Like, he was just a little too close to me. I think he bumped me, like, one time. And, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I ball up my fist. And um, Hovain grabbed me by the shoulder and was like, nah, don't do it. And he was like, look, nobody in this club knows the animosity between you and dude or the tension. So the, the only thing people going to talk about is, oh, Rob just went crazy. Like... He was like, dog, this shit ain't worth it. Don't do it. A little while after the album starts, and I'm still tight, like, you know what I'm saying? I'm like pissed. And the first song you hear is Kill Jay-Z. And when I was driving home and thinking about it and just replaying the thing in my mind, it's like, man, your ego will really fuck you up. That whole situation, if I would have let my ego get the best of me, I'd have been the one who lost. It would have just looked, I'd just look crazy and stupid for no reason. Why? You know what I'm saying? And 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 it wasn't no real beef and, and 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 the guy who I'm talking about isn't a physical threat, isn't isn't a threat in no ways. So it just really like when I think about that song and I it's just like, man, like grow up. I think I had made the comment earlier that that you need to have this armor sometimes. And yeah, it's kind of bullshit. Like you don't, like, you know what I'm saying? And I'm not a tough guy. That's not who I am or, or what I was, but Whatever, in that moment, I I felt like this was the way I was going to handle this situation. But if I don't went through with it, it would have been the wrong way to handle the situation. You know, if the biggest rapper, if the greatest rapper of all time could be like, yo, I let my ego get the best of me. And then he, he lists all these situations where he was wrong. You know, you egged Solange on. All you had to say was you was wrong. You know what I'm saying? You got a knot in your chest. Imagine how a knife hurts when he's talking about un. Like, it's all these times where he could check himself like, damn, I was fucked up. I was wrong for that. And that's the greatest rap in the world. So it's just a reminder of like, man, check your ego, man. What do you think um, I Don't Want to Wait and Kill Jay-Z say about your 30s and kind of where you are now? Just own who you are. Like, and, and, and you don't have to live up to the image of what it's supposed to look like to others or what it's supposed to be. Like being really truthful and honest with yourself and, and you know, to release I Don't Want to Wait and ultimately Write to Dream and to start releasing music at this point in my career, you know, in my 30s when I was already established as a journalist, a lot of people told me not to do it. A lot of people said it was going to ruin my credibility. Um, you know, I, I wasn't going to be on the same level musically as I am journalistically, you know. So a lot of people tried to talk me out of it. Some people made fun of me. You know, some people just didn't accept it. I still get stories today about like like OG journalists who are like tight. Like, oh, he shouldn't be doing that. And, da, 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 da. and I, that's cool. But then I, I got people that I grew up with. You know, when I dropped that, like all the guys that I went to like high school with, or junior high school with or whatever, are hitting me up. Like, oh shit, you actually did it. Like, yo, you really did it. You know, like I've always wanted to make music, so... Just do it without the fear of what anybody says about you. But also, I don't have to live in the ego. Just because I drop music doesn't mean I have to put on this rapper persona or live in this this world of, of what it's supposed to look like. Like It could totally look like how I define it. And the easiest way for me to navigate it, because I wouldn't be able to navigate both careers, is to be true. And to be honest and transparent, if I have to put on a mask to do one and then take off the mask to do the other, 
that shit is just so fucking tiring. Like, yo, this is just who I am. You know what I'm saying? And and it's A, showing the world who you are, but before you can show the world who you are, you got to be honest with yourself. This is the soundtrack to your life story. When you look back at this playlist, what do you think it says about your life? I think it says that I'm always forward looking. Like there's always something to look forward to. Or, you know, like, you know, even when today is rough, like tomorrow could be better. You know, it's that it's that optimism that you're talking about. I, I think that's it. And that, that we could get through anything and that we can accomplish anything. And, and that's just not me. I say we. It's like myself and the people around me. First, you have to define what that anything is. And, and you know, even with music, again, it's defining what it is. What what's, Am I in music to be rich and famous? Or am I in music because I love creating? I'm in music because I love creating. I've accomplished that. And I got to the root of what it is. And I think we all have the power to do that. This was the first episode of My Years Through My Ears. Special thanks to Rob for sharing his story. Please check out his new project. If you don't, you will regret it. And it lives up to the title because if you don't check it out right now, you're going to regret it later. The theme song for this series was provided by Atmosphere. The song that you're hearing is called Anybody That I've Known. And it was used with permission from Ram Sayers Entertainment. Additional music was provided by Chase Moore. Please check out Rob's My Ears Through My Ears playlist on Spotify. It has all the songs we talked about in this episode. And tune in soon for a new episode. Like, subscribe, review, and do whatever else podcast hosts usually ask for. I'm sure it's all very helpful. Until then, I'm out. Or as my son likes to say, Peace out.